Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Richard as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was Luke chapter 21, verses 5 to 19. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. This week in American history was a precarious one, especially when read alongside this Sunday's texts. Now, truth be told, we tell these apocalyptic stories every single November. Uh, But every two years for the past, I don't know how many, uh, we've told these stories when we as a nation have engaged in what we are told is the most important election of our lives. Each and every time. And it may be true. On Monday, the day before the election, I was reading these texts. And I was also reading an article about how angry the American electorate is. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, a predominant feeling is anger. Anger at the right to choose being taken away. Anger that the right still remains. Anger that the last presidential election was stolen. Anger that it is still being denied. Now, regardless of the, most, of the emotions that you may now be feeling after Tuesday, relief, confusion, anxiety, excitement, frustration, I think that the anger that was so palpably present for so many is indicative of a fear. A fear that the structures and the bodies in which we have placed our trust, that these structures are in fact not as sure and solid as we had believed. And in all the swirl of these feelings, we get these readings from Isaiah and from Luke's gospel. And what's strange about reading these texts this week is that they've actually um, grounded me. They've helped give me perspective. Because I think they help us see where to place our trust and the end to which our lives are pointing. I'd like to begin with Luke's gospel, and I'd like to situate it in the time when Jesus would have said these words. Somewhere in the early 30s of the common era, and uh, Jesus and his students are walking around the Temple Mount complex. Now, this is actually the second temple for Judaism. The first was destroyed in the 6th century BCE when the people of Israel were invaded by the Babylonians. And they were captured and sent into exile in Babylon. But by the end of the 6th century BCE, they they returned to Jerusalem and they immediately began work on the second temple. And so this second temple had been standing for five centuries. Then, about 20 years before the Christ was born, Herod, who was the, the puppet king 
of the Roman Empire began improving and expanding the temple. And so the size of the temple complex was doubled to 36 acres. Stones weighing hundreds and hundreds of pounds were quarried and carried in. They were lifted by cranes. They were placed to form wide plazas and courts and this immense temple and surrounding buildings. Now, all of this had been constructed, finished in the lifetime of many of those who were listening to Jesus' teaching. And so it's no wonder that they would have marveled at the stone and the craftsmanship and the beauty of this temple. And it's no wonder that it would have been unthinkable to hear Jesus prophesy that all of it, all of it would come down, every stone and beam. Because this structure had formed the foundation of their belief. How many times have we walked through our days assuming that the structures that we have created, the structures that others have created for us, that they would stand for time immemorial? The structures of our relationships, our homes, our electoral processes, our jobs, our health. We place our trust in these ways of being, expecting that they will stand forever. But they won't. They can't. And so early this week, this text was helpful because it reminded me that anything that is not God can fall. I'd like to uh, now take this same text and use as a lens what this text would have heard, what it would have sounded like in the year 85. Because that's the year, give or take five years, that most scholars believe that Luke's gospel, that we just heard, that the gospel was written. Somewhere along the Mediterranean, probably in Asia Minor. This is Israel, by the way, if you couldn't tell. Asia Minor's up here. Rome's about over here. But by the time that the year 85 has come, there are no firsthand witnesses to the miracles, the teachings, the resurrection of the Christ. But the followers of the way have been gathering every Sunday since to tell the story. And now it must be set down so that others can hear it. And the story is set down after the year 70. And that year is important because that's the year that the second temple is destroyed and that the faithful Jews of Jerusalem are devastated. Now, even though Luke's gospel is written up in Asia Minor, a long ways away from Jerusalem, the, the members of the community who created Luke's gospel, even if they themselves had not been in Palestine, if, even if they had not been in Judea or in Jerusalem, all people 
along that stretch of the Mediterranean knew what happened. Because the annihilation of the Jewish people was so profound. It's estimated that one million Jews of Jerusalem and Judea were killed during the fall of Jerusalem. Most of them children and elders and other civilians who were killed by starvation and disease that was caused by the brutal siege of the city by the general Titus. So this early Christian community in the year 85, when they hear this teaching of Jesus, they can imagine very easily no stone being left on stone. They can imagine parents betraying their children, brother betraying brother. And so I believe Jesus' words about not one hair on our heads perishing must have taken on a different significance. They knew what life could bring, how the temples we create can fall, and that even in the rubble, we can continue to find and be found by God. They knew that no matter how magnificent the building, the place where our trust belongs is in the body of Christ. And so here we are in the year 2022, having heard the same teaching from the Christ of structures, tumbling of wars and insurrections, of famines and plagues. And I cannot help but feel that we are hearing this teaching at a time of great loss, different than the loss of the Jewish people in the year 70, to be sure. But we are just beginning to emerge from this pandemic. We know that life doesn't always just go on. And we've been in a bruising two, four, six, I don't know how many years of political fighting, of placing our trust in a belief that our nation was different than the rest. That the structures, that our political temples were so sound that they could never fall. And so this week, it has me wondering, what are the temples in which we place our trust that are other than God? Where should we be looking? Well, admittedly, if we're only looking at this small portion of Luke's gospel, it's uh, pretty bleak which I'm really grateful then for the vision we get from the prophet Isaiah that we heard earlier this morning because Isaiah has this vision. And remember, uh, this is while the people of Israel are still in exile in Babylon. Isaiah has this vision from God 
a vision that defined the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And it's a vision that I believe should animate our lives as well. Because at the edges of a world dominated by empire, the people of God, all of us, in this vision, are able to build homes and live in them. All of us are able to eat what we grow. All of us are able to enjoy the fruits of our labor to live from the work of our hands. It's a vision that's not about streets paved with gold. It's, it's human. It's basic. And it feels so true. What does that vision of God feel like for you? Where do you see it? It's this vision of how the world is that sustains me in our bleakest hours. I see this vision come to life when I talk with a resident of Jordan Court who gets to live out their lifetime in their home. And it's this vision of life that has animated the Isaiah Project towards reparation and towards restoration. In spite of the temples made of stone which will crumble and the anger and the fear that courses through our bodies, we must remember that this vision of the holy mountain is our end. And that it's not just our end. It's not just what we are waiting for. Because this vision of the holy mountain, even as temples around us crumble, this, this life, this way, is being glimpsed and revealed and lived right now.